The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is your newscast for episode 216 for the week of June 28th. Alex, we're uh, we're halfway through 2021. Man, it's hard to believe. I feel like we're uh, still at the beginning of 2020. Um, this year really has been flying by as opposed to last year that seemed like it was about four years. Yeah, and uh, and we also have some pretty decent weather this weekend, meaning not so hot. We're uh, able to get out and, and do some good stuff. I'm I'm pretty excited about that as well. Yeah, and we can take a minute to be weather forecasters for you know anyone that's listening to this as it comes out. It's supposed to be nice all week. I think like highs in the 70s most of this week, which is weird that's... considering you know we've had several days over 100 already. That's fantastic. That means we maybe we can. Uh, avoid having the blistering heat until late in July. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, I did. Not that it's uh, Colorado weather. I also saw in Seattle that they had a couple hundred degree days or maybe just one. And there's another one coming up. Um, but they've only had like, you know, three days total over a hundred in the past, like 50 years or something like that. So crazy weather all around. So, you know, I, I went to college in Portland and so I have a number of friends on social media from Portland. And one of them said today that they were setting their all-time record. This, this is on Sunday. And I, and I looked and the, the forecast for today is 113 degrees in Portland. Wow. The only places that are hotter on earth are like the Sahara Desert, the Mojave De- Desert, and some places in the Middle East. Uh, well, I, I guess uh, we're just going to have to keep dealing with this stuff, Rob, and hopefully... Uh... You're in a place where you get the the better of it. Well, you know, we listen, We had the NREL interview last week. Hopefully, NREL is able to uh, to help help us with this whole climate change stuff. That'd be that'd be pretty good stuff. I, I think they need to do like uh, like Mr. Burns and develop the the giant dish that blocks out the sun. There you go. That'll that'll solve all our problems. Sure, that'll be perfect. All right, let's do some housekeeping. Uh, reminder, we have a Slack channel. If you're listening to the podcast and you're you're thinking, what is this Slack technology? We'd love to see you join us and, and learn how to type to, to people. That's basically what it is, typing to people. If you want to uh, to, to join us, go out to colorado-security.com and click on the Slack button to request to join. While you're there, we have a mailing list. You can sign up for that. You'll get one email delivered to you every week with the show notes and uh, other interesting stuff about the podcast for that week. While you're doing that, um, we would love for you to also jump over to your favorite podcast player, uh, wherever you get your podcasts from, uh, rate us, and then also subscribe so you get this automatically delivered to you every week. And uh, we'd love it if you'd tell a friend. If you want to tell, tell some folks about the, the show and about the movement, get them involved in the community. We'd love to see more folks be a part of the Colorado Equal Security community. Uh, and if you want to help support us even more than that, uh, we do have a financial uh sponsorship program through Patreon. You can go out to our website to, to find the link to, to get to Patreon, help help pay the, the bills to keep the lights open. Um, and uh, we, we appreciate our current patrons. Thank you very much for all of you who are who are kicking in a little bit of money each month to, to keep this thing moving forward. Uh, so uh, Rob, I think with that, um, I was going to make fun of you for saying the lights are open, but that's okay. I'm going to move on. Um, hey, thanks for not mentioning that. Uh, you're welcome. And jump right into the news. And Rob, I did not know this, but Denver has one of the world's top safari operators. And we have a story this week talking about how it was for them in the past year without much revenue at all. Yeah. And, and let's just be really clear there. This is an African safari company. It, it's called Africa Adventure Consultants. Uh, they're located here in Denver. Uh, I think that that's really the, the punchline of this whole story that one, uh, one of the biggest uh, safari companies is here in Denver. Yeah, and they, in 2020, they had been coming off a a year of big growth. Uh, They'd had 40% growth going into 2020, and they were also named one of the 10 best safari outfitters in the world, according to Travel and Leisure. And then, of course, it all came crashing down. Uh, The story talks about how they they made it through the pandemic. Lucky for them, they were able to get some some loans, uh, some other stuff, and and just kind of made it through uh, by the skin of their teeth. And now things uh, seem to be looking up for them again. Yeah, it, it is fun to see the story of, of how a, a small business uh, makes it through. And of course, 
Um, now, if, if any of you are thinking, man, I've always wanted to go to Africa, you can, you can talk to local folks. They have an office here in, I think it was in Cherry Creek that they, they just got a new office. Um, so you can actually meet them in person and um, ask all your questions and, and keep the money in Colorado and hopefully help this company rebound from, from COVID. It is something on my bucket list, Rob, so I will have to give them a call. Sounds awesome. Maybe maybe they'll give us a uh, a Colorado Equal Security discount for talking about them on the podcast, but probably not because no one ever has. We can only right. move, move it along. Uh, speaking of local companies, a Colorado family during COVID, um, they're so into board games that they you know took an opportunity to uh, to create their own board game in the last uh, several months. Yeah. So. Um this family, they love playing board games and they wanted to invent something where um, it was a game that was easy to play for everyone, uh, all ages. You know, sometimes you have a board game where, uh, you know, you kind of have to, as an adult, you know, lay back a little bit so that the kids can keep playing without just destroying them. Um, or on the opposite side, it's a, you know, very kid oriented and the, the adults aren't having any fun. So uh, they came up with this board game called Kanoosh. Um, and it's actually a, a game of luck and it's based on the probability of dice rolling. Yeah. You know, the, I, I read through this whole thing. It, they don't describe the game in enough detail to really understand exactly how it works. But, um, you know, I think basically you're, you're claiming squares on a board based on the likelihood of those numbers being rolled on the dice, something like that. And they have a few different varieties of, of, uh, of how the game can be played, different modes. Uh, honestly, it looks like it could be fun. I was, I was tempted to get it. You can buy this game um, in person at Golden Goods, which is a, uh, a store in Golden, Colorado, or you can buy it online at their website. You just have to pay shipping if you do it online. And it's about $15 to buy the game. Yeah, um, I'm interested and you know maybe I'll get a copy as well, but um, I really hope with a, a name like Kanoosh, that uh, part of the game is when you win, you have to jump up and yell, Kadoosh! <laughs> I, I can only assume so. And frankly, if it's not part of the game, Alex, you can make it part of the game at your house. That is that is very true. It's kind of like Jumanji. All just, right. just like Jumanji. Just like Jumanji. Less, uh, less animals and yeah. you know, whatever else, but uh, lots of yelling. Anyway, uh, next, a, a Denver AI startup, which I believe we've talked about on the show before, is uh, growing because of the restaurant labor shortage. Um, so this is Valiant AI. We've talked about them in the past. They're, uh, they're a company that helps with uh, restaurant ordering. And they were doing, I think last time we talked to them or talked about them, um, a pilot with Good Times. Yep. Um, and this article is talking about how they are taking that technology and rolling it out to multiple different companies and, and getting much bigger because of the labor shortage from the pandemic. Yeah, it sounds like they, they really had a, a big growth uh, last year. And just as a reminder for those who, d- who didn't listen or forgot what this was about, you know, they become like the conversation that you have at a drive through as you're ordering your food versus, uh, you know, having to have a person on the other side. This AI will take your order and, and generally there's a human listening into that conversation so that if there's a problem with it, if you're, if you're getting frustrated, they can jump right in and help. Um, but it does give uh, it, it does give uh, the ability for fewer in humans to help support this so the humans can work on other stuff. Um, when we talked about it before, they, were, they said that, you know, even at like the pilots with good times, the system was doing about 5% of the orders. Uh, but as of now, they're working with uh, a fast food chain in Atlanta called Checkers. Um, they said that that AI is handling about 70% of incoming orders. So obviously from 5% to 70%, a, a very material change in the impact they're able to have. And it uh, looks like they're moving in the right direction. Yeah, that 70% is a much better number. Um, they also mentioned that they're working with multiple different companies beyond that, although I don't think that they gave names for uh, the other other companies that they're working with. But um, I suppose uh, pretty soon when you, you go through the drive-through, you're going to be uh, talking to some AI assistant from Voyant. Yeah, you know, this is, this is an interesting topic. There's, there's good and bad, right? Like I think we as technologists are, are interested in seeing how AI advances. Um, the article specifically talks about, hey, this is not taking the place of people, this is additive. I, I think there's no argument though, at some point, uh, this takes the place of people, right? Like you're, you're, you're reducing the number of employees in, because of this. And, and it'll be interesting to see how do we as a society deal with that? And I mean, you can't stop it, but we have to be, we have to be thoughtful that, that, the, that you know, there's gonna be impact to, to people who are probably in pretty vulnerable situations that may lose jobs as a part of this. So anyway, something to think about. And I'm, 
I, I hope that that gets addressed at the same speed that the technology is being uh, improved. Yeah, I have to think, though, that they're going to keep needing people, at least for the, the foreseeable future, even if this gets really good. Um, you know, it is only taking the orders. that You still have to have people making the food, processing the orders, things like that. And, you know, with the amount of turnover, especially in fast food and things like that, um, I have to imagine that it's not going to be putting too many people out of work. Well, it's not I don't think it's a question of of like emptying out the back of the store. Right. It's a, it's a question of, OK, well, you, if you had 10 people back there today and you have eight people back there, you know, six months from now or two years from now, and then, you know, what's the next innovation look like? And somewhere along the way, it does become, uh, you know, it, it, it is significant enough that now people who used to have jobs do not have jobs. I, I think it's going to, it's going to have to happen. And we'll, we'll be seeing to be thinking about it as, as a society. Maybe, right. maybe outside uh, the scope of Colorado equal security though. Huh? Uh, on, on that happy note, let's move on. Um, the, the next article is talking about uh, Evercommerce, which is setting its IPO and could be valued up to $3.46 billion as part of this. Yeah. You know, um, I, uh, sorry, I somehow missed that. Oh, there it is. Yeah. I, I didn't actually know this company or if I did, I, I forgot. Um, they, they, they go to market with a number of different, um, uh, names. So they, they have ever commerce, ever pro ever health, which are focused on different industry verticals. And previous to, to last year, they were actually mostly uh, known as pay simple. Um, so th this is a, you know, a couple different changes, a couple different names for me to try and figure out. Um, have, have you familiar with these guys? Is, is this one we've, we've ever talked about, or you've seen in other places? I feel like maybe we've talked about them once, but I'm not positive. Um, from reading the article, it sounded like they started out more as a, uh, a payment portal, um, but now they have moved on to being more of, you know, sort of an operations uh, portal. You know, they have a, a healthcare focused version that, um, you know, I didn't look at it, but to me, it sounds more like it's uh, what you use, at, you know, in a doctor's office or something like that to sort of run your practice versus just yeah. a, a place that takes payments. Um, same with, uh, you know, they have a fitness and, uh, and wellness one, I'm guessing same sort of thing, you know, where you uh, maybe manage memberships or other things like that. Um, and uh, so it's interesting to see that it looks like they've also, uh, you know, at one point acquired a different company and uh, that, that helped them on their way. Um, so uh, I guess to your actual question, Rob, I, I wasn't particularly familiar with them as well, but uh, it looks like an interesting group of products that they have. Yeah, good stuff. You know, they, it is interesting to know that there's just a company of this size and scope here in town that I that I wasn't familiar with yet. Um, you know, a, as a point to that, they they uh, their total revenue for 2020 was 337 million. So they, I mean, they're definitely at large scale and 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 still growing pretty quickly. Um, cool to see them be su be successful, and looking forward to seeing you know the good news about their IPO and it comes out here uh, in the in the near future. Good stuff. All right. Uh, next, we have an update about Andy Grolnick. So Andy was the longtime CEO of Logarithm who, who left well, just, a, just a couple of years ago. And, and I know we've talked about this on the show before. He is now the CEO for Graylog. Well, Graylog, the, it's another log management, log aggregation company. They just raised $18 million in a, in a Series B uh, to help uh, speed the growth of that company. Yeah, uh, so Greylog is not based in Colorado, but um, of course Andy is, and uh, they do mention in the story that uh, Greylog is growing, and, and a number of those people are uh, being hired here in Colorado. Um, they also expect that uh, Greylog's headcount to be somewhere between ninety-five and and uh, one hundred employees by the end of twenty twenty-one. So, uh, sounds like they're getting to be a, a decent-sized company. Yeah, so they. Uh, they are planning to use the $18 million to invest in go-to-market, so you know sales and marketing, uh, and also more development. I think that's kind of the standard, right? Everyone who invests, they're, they're going to do those two things. Um, good for them. Uh, I, I was unaware that they're used so, so widely. They say that they have uh, more than 50,000 installations uh, around the world. So uh, certainly you know, got, got a good footprint and, and now have a good investment to, to grow from here. Yeah, and good for them. Uh, all right, next, uh, we have an acquisition announcement. Uh, Virtual Armor, which is a, a local managed security services provider here, is being acquired by Evergreen Services Group. Um, Evergreen is a managed service provider, no security in there. 
um, and they are uh, acquiring virtual armor to help get them into the security side of the market as well. Um, so good for them. Uh, it looks like uh, Evergreen has been on a tear. Uh, I think, where was that number? They've uh, acquired 28 managed IT providers uh, since 2018. So uh, I guess maybe they ran out of MSPs to buy and now they're moving on to MSSPs. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because their strategy seems to be that when they buy these new companies, they actually don't acquire, they don't uh, merge them in. They, uh, they're letting them operate separately and, and still go to market with their old name and their old leadership. So uh, the, the leadership of virtual armor is going to stay in place and, and exist, you know, uh, under, uh, is, it, is it Russ Armbrust? He's the, uh, he's the virtual armor CEO. Uh, he's still going to be the CEO. It's still with that name. It's, it's just, they're now going to be, ha- have the resources of, uh, of Evergreen and all of those other companies under Evergreen as resources that they can partner with. Yeah, so I'd imagine uh, you know cross marketing across all those managed service providers. Now there's a new place for uh, virtual armor to sell into, and uh, hopefully that's a good thing for everybody. Yep. All right. So speaking of funding, we had a lot of funding this week. Um, Phylum, who we had Aaron uh, Bray, the uh, the CEO there on the show. Uh, just about, about a month ago, uh, they closed on a $4.5 million seed round and they're coming out of stealth mode. Yeah, congrats to them. Uh, they are an application security uh, company, but they're focusing on on supply chain and, and that sort of thing. Um, and it sounds to me similar like a, a black duck or one of those uh, types of products where you're looking for vulnerabilities in, uh, in open source libraries and other things that might be in, in your product. Um, I thought it was interesting that the, uh, the seed round was, uh, was led by, you know, a couple of, uh, funds, but also a, a few people, uh, CSO for Coinbase, the CSO for Robinhood, for example. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it looks like good stuff and they're well on their way to, uh, to being a, a bigger company. And that, you know, that is a Colorado security company. So I'm sure, you know, as they, as they continue to grow and, and have success, we'll, We'll stay on top of that and we'll get Aaron back on the show to, to tell us how they use this money to, to fuel the next iteration. Um, yeah. And on the, the same vein of uh, acquisitions and funding, Ping Identity announced this week that they have acquired a company called Secured Touch uh, to exel- accelerate their identity fraud capabilities. And uh, Rob, I don't know if you know much about this one or not. Um, so I, I know about it from reading the press release. I don't know about it from being a former employee there. Um, basically, they they are giving them a risk indicator, a risk engine to, to, to better provide uh, signals on what's good behavior and what's bad behavior by users. Um, and, and you can use this this fraud detection for a number of ways, a number of ways, you know, obviously, as the customer, the enterprise itself, you could say, you know, I just want to know what fraudulent stuff's happening. But the real power comes when you integrate that that fraud engine with the the ping one product, which is you know their their cloud service, to say okay, well because of this this score from our fraud engine, we are going to uh, you know require a step up authentication, or we're going to disable this account, or we're going to not allow transactions over X amount of dollars, you know whatever that that action you want to take is, you know that's where the power of this integration comes from, and you know I, I imagine that since the acquisition just happened, that you know it's not there yet, but then over the next couple of quarters that there'll be a lot of integration so that, you know, customers of, of both platforms, you know, as it's moved into the ping platform, will be able to take advantage of those new capabilities. Yeah. And it looked like from the article that this uh, secured touch is focused on, uh, you know, bot detection and mitigation, uh, stopping account takeover and, and other kinds of fraud. Uh, and it also looked like uh, while you'll be able to do uh, what you mentioned, Rob, how, you know, uh, how it'll be integrated into the, the ping one engine, sounds like you'll still be able to purchase this as a separate product if you're just looking for something that will help prevent those fraudulent behaviors. Yeah, I think it's, it would be help detect if you didn't have it doing more, right? And then you could use a detection somewhere else. I mean, that's, that's the key is that the prevention comes when you can, you can tie it into something like Ping1 or, or you do your custom in-house development to do that integration. Sure. All right. Uh, and we had another piece of news from Ping this week. So Ping, so this week was uh, Identiverse and you're going to see we have the feature interview, uh, which was our keynote from Identiverse. Um, but that was in town and that's kind of the, the the big identity conference of the year. So Ping, you know, 
coordinated a bunch of news this week to come out. Uh, another one of their pieces of news is, is, is actually, once again, worthy of talking about. They're releasing a brand new capability at a product, um, which is uh, called Ping One uh, for Identity. Yeah, and this is uh, what they're calling a personal identity solution. And I thought this was interesting. It sounds like, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, because it, you probably know a little bit more. It, it sounds like this is a more a customer identity and access management kind of play but with the ability for end users uh, to have more control over the, uh, the data that they share with various different people. Basically, this is, the, this is their go at making a wallet for, in, for users to, uh, to be able to share their identity in the way they want to. I think we've talked about this idea on the show before when, when Ping bought Showcard about a year ago, a little over a year ago. Um, this is the, the ability for... A, a, an individual like you or me to to walk, like walk into a liquor store, and if that liquor store has has set up this this type of a product, we can show we can give just our proof of being over the age of twenty one without also having to give everything else from our driver's license, and it gives it and it gives us the ability to to show proof of vaccination without you know all these other details. That's that's really the the promise here of of personal identity. It's giving the individual control over what they share and with whom. Uh, and, and they're basically releasing this capability that enterprises can go out and set up so that their customers have that capability. Very nice. Uh, it sounds to me like it's a more generalized version of the, uh, the app that the, the state of Colorado released where you can have a digital version of your driver's license. For yep. It, it, I would say that's a great example of of a, of a first wave of what that could look like. And, and other, there's a million other places that it can go, but absolutely right. That's a great example. All right. And then moving on to our last story of the week, this is a blog by Red Canary. Uh, they did a, a survey of security leaders to re reveal what worries them most and why. Um, and sort of the, the headline here is that 82% believe their organization is vulnerable to cyber attack. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of interesting stats in here. This is part one of a three part series. First, you know, this first part is talking about what are the concerns that are keeping leaders up at night. The second part's going to be what are the obstacles that are standing in the way of effective incident response, and the third element is what can organizations do to turn the tide and improve security. Um, so this one, there's you know some nice graphics and discussion about what what are the biggest concerns. The number one thing people are concerned about as a as an impact is damage to the organization's reputation. That's that's right above compromise or loss of sensitive data as as number one and number two as as areas of concern. Yeah, I, I'm honestly I was a little bit surprised that that was number one. Um, you know th that obviously is an important thing, but I would have uh, I would have assumed that uh, the number two and three would have been ahead of damage to reputation. Yeah, and number five on the list, way down at fifty percent, is negative legal and regulatory impact. So they're basically compliance is not anywhere near the top of the list either. Another one that that might be a little surprising as well. Right. Yeah, and uh, if we move down a little bit farther, talking about the the attack vectors and what people were most worried about, uh, number one, fifty-seven percent was exposure to ransomware attacks, and that one does not surprise me at all. Except, you know, maybe 57%, I would have expected maybe even a little bit more than that. Yeah, the other other big ones, actually, number two is decreased endpoint visibility due to work from home. I mean, the, the majority of companies said that that's high on their list. Uh, interesting to me that most companies haven't solved that problem yet. And I guess that leads, the, leads me to think that there's a lot of opportunity for current providers in that space to to expand and maybe even for new providers to jump in there and, and make it easier. Cause I think the challenge is it's not that we don't have solutions that do that. It's just clearly it's not easy enough or more of these companies would be doing it. Right. Yeah. Well, good stuff there by Red Canary. And uh, as you mentioned, this is one in a three-part series. So uh, I imagine we'll see the next two coming out soon. All right. Jump it over to our calendar of events. Remind you that on our website, we do have a calendar of events. Um, you can go out and see what's coming up here in the next few months. In the next couple of weeks, there's very little um, because we do have 4th of July. And I think everyone decided the week before 4th of July and the week of 4th of July, it doesn't make sense to do a lot of events there. Yeah. So I think we just have one event this week, and that is uh, the, uh, the Colorado Springs uh, is this the Cyber Mountain, Colorado Springs? The, yeah, that, the, it, it, the, the name seems the name for this thing seems to change every uh, every month. But this is that first Friday event, 
and and it's it, this time it's called the second Friday event because it's the second Friday of the month. But but it's that Cyber Mountain Colorado Springs group. All right. So if you're down there, check it out. And that's on the ninth. I don't know if we said that part. All right. And then with that, we can jump over to jobs. Uh, we have got uh, well for those of you that aren't aware. Um, we do jobs every week and uh, Rob has handpicked some wonderful jobs for us to talk about. So the first of those is uh, Common Spirit Health. They're looking for a, a system vice president. Is that maybe senior vice president of cybersecurity transfer, transformation? Yeah, I, I I have never seen the title system vice president either, but that is what it says in the in the job description. So I, I assume it's I assume it's true. Um Anyway, the, the, I think the idea of working at such a large healthcare organization doing um, doing uh, tr cybersecurity transformation sounds really exciting, and hopefully they get a good person for that. Uh, next, S&P Global is hiring a director of data security architecture. Sounds cool. Polly is looking for a senior manager of enterprise security. And Polly is Polycom, um, so the, the phone manufacturer. Clearly, that's C-L-E-E-R-L-Y, is hiring a senior manager of information security. Never heard of Clearly. Me either. Here's a fun one. <clears throat> the Denver Center for Performing Arts is looking for an information security manager. That's awesome. What a, what a cool thing to get to do. Uh, University of Colorado is hiring a security operations manager. Cushman and Wakefield is looking for a security strategy and operations senior manager. Well, if you want to get into commercial real estate, this is your opportunity. That'll be it. Um, the state of Colorado is hiring a manager of identity and access management. The Colorado School of Mines is looking for a security analyst for incident response. And finally, Berkshire Hathaway Home State Companies is hiring a senior security, or excuse me, senior cybersecurity engineer. And that's here in Colorado. I didn't know that they were, I didn't know they had any presence here. Nice. Yeah. I wonder, even though it says Berkshire Hathaway, I wonder if it's a, um, a portfolio company that is hiring on their behalf or something. But yeah. I, I think that uh, I made, made a little joke about what company you might want to get into. This is a company I would definitely be interested in getting more involved <laughs> with. And, and if, uh, I think if you're thinking about getting an engineer role, maybe, maybe look at this one. Well, uh, agreed, Rob, you know, I also have some kids that are coming up to uh, college age, maybe that Colorado school of mines job. Uh, would be a good one if it offers some uh, tuition benefits. Yeah, there you go. If you're and if your kid's able to get into Colorado School of Mines, well, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. All, all right, uh, that is it for news. We do have I mentioned earlier the feature interview, which was uh, us basically talking at Identiverse. We had a, a keynote panel, and we have a, a couple other guests as a part of uh, basically a debrief after. So we did the panel, then we immediately shuffled off over to the podcast recording studio, and we we sat down and talked about how the panel went. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Looking forward to hearing. All right. Well, that is it. We will talk to you guys all again next week. Thanks, Rob. Hey, this is James Carter, CISO at Logarithm. This is Colorado Equals Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. All right. This is Rob at Rec, and I'm running kind of a different interview this week for Colorado Equal Security. Um, we're sitting on the floor at Identiverse, the, the first, as far as I'm aware, the first in-person security conference here in town. Um, it's, a, it's a national conference that really kind of moves around to different cities. And this year, we, we're lucky enough to have it here in Denver. Um, it's a hybrid event this year uh, where there's a few hundred people here in person and um, maybe another thousand people or so who are doing it remote. I don't know the exact numbers, but thousands. Um, so anyway, I'm doing an interview this week with uh, with the panelists that were on one of the keynote panels. Um, so with me uh, is Alex Weiner. Alex is the director of, well, Alex, I'll just go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm the director of identity security for Microsoft. Um, so we do, we try to prevent fraud and account takeover in uh, Microsoft ecosystem. And uh, and you are not a Colorado guy. Where, where are you from? Actually, I'm from Colorado. I'm so from I Colorado didn't know Springs. that. Yeah, I grew up on the Air Force Academy and in Colorado Springs around Monument. Uh, but I, uh, I moved to Seattle 25, 26 years ago to join Microsoft. Yeah, so, so you you had perfection. You lived here, and then you <laughs> chose to leave. This is this is hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Seattle's got its upsides. Seattle's not too bad. Not too bad. All right. Uh, we have Mike Benjamin. Mike, you're a friend of the show. We've had, we've talked about you on the show, and I think we've had you on the show in the past. Um, Mike, want to do a quick intro? Yeah, I'm the vice president of security at Lumen. I also run a team called Black Lotus Labs. So our our teams. We build products that 
that serve security to our customers and operate them, as well as threat intelligence focused on hunting threats within the internet. Mike, I feel like you have done roughly the same job most of the time I've known you, and you've had more titles than anyone I know over that time. Uh, and, and part of it's because your company name keeps changing. And part of it is uh, is just you know promotions and so forth. Um, anyway, it's good to have you back on the show after after a long break. Uh, and then we have a, a, a total stranger here. Who, who's this? Oh, hi, Rob. How's it going? This is Alex. Uh, I, I was on the panel also. Um, I'm not going to introduce myself because everybody knows me, hopefully, if you've listened to the show before. Um, I, I also, you know, in our, our tradition of dad jokes, I wanted to let everyone know that, that Mike clearly has a bright future at Lumen. Ouch. Ouch. Hold on. we got to have this. Oh, that's not a laugh. So this is the first time we've ever had a soundboard where a uh, rim shot would have been good, where we can just randomly do sounds. So if you if you hear us playing with that technology, then uh, you know what's going on there. All right. So we did we did just do a a panel really talking about uh, this Solarigate Solar Winds um, attack, series of attacks and what the impact of that was. And we're going to do a little bit of recapping on that here during the interview today. But I, but I'd love to to hear from you guys. You know, for me, this is my first time walking into an in person event in what. I don't know, 15 months since RSA conference last year, I think. Um, for you guys, is this your first time coming back to, in, to, to real life people doing stuff together? It's so awesome. I mean, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it really I, is. yeah, it's my first time back at a, at a in person event. And, and we're all wearing pants. I'm glad none of us forgot how to put pants on. That, that was a, I have a, a non elastic nice waistband for the first time <laughs> in like 15 months. So. Yeah. It, it was a little bit weird when I walked in. Um, one of the keynotes was already going. So, you know, the everything else was deserted and it was just it was sort of like walking into an empty hotel you know which, which has been pretty common uh recently but then all of a sudden you know getting into the uh the area where they were doing the keynote and all of a sudden seeing all the people it was it was awesome i i think when alex walked up he didn't recognize me that's how long it's been so yeah it's good to see everybody yeah all right good stuff so let's talk a little bit about the uh, the panel we just did, you know, the, the the point of it, and the reason the three of you guys were brought together for this is you have really different perspectives on what happened with these attacks. And Alex Weiner, with Microsoft being really early into the incident response, and and and, and I'd say leading the charge on recommendations to the industry, reaching out to uh, impacted organizations. Um, I think even how we met. Yeah, that is how we met. You gave me a call to say, hey, here's here's what's going on. Make sure you guys are keeping an eye out for it. Um, you guys have a really interesting perspective there. Mike, you know, at, at Lumens, I think maybe yeah, CenturyLink previously, Lumen, um, you guys uh, uh, had a different perspective on it. You want to share kind of what, how you guys got to see what was going on there? Yeah, so really, as the event was unfolding, it became a, a few different perspectives. One is helping our federal customers understand the impact. Obviously, they were, they were high-value targets from this particular actor group. Another was that threat intelligence side, going out and hunting the entirety of the actor infrastructure. What could we find out that they had done? What could we find out was being impacted? And obviously, that feeds back into the latter, which is after we understand more of the backend infrastructure, the tooling used, et cetera, we can go hunt more things on behalf of our customers and make sure that we're cleaning that up. Yeah, and then Alex, you know, from yet a different perspective, why don't you talk about how you got involved and like what your role was? Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. I don't normally talk about my day job perspective on on the show, but yeah, we, you know, we're a portfolio company and we have a lot lots of companies uh, that I look after in terms of their security programs, and uh, so you know, we spend a good deal of time doing uh, you know research and incident response once the announcement was made about what was going on determining which of our companies were affected, how they were affected, how we needed to respond, things we needed to do, uh, you know, and all that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it was a good bit of work for us too. Yeah. So so what I'd love to do is, is recap just a little bit of, the, of what we talked about in the panel. Not not going to re rehash the whole thing, but Alex Weinert, if you don't mind giving, you know, your summary of what these attackers did and, and the fact that we really mischaracterize it with solar yeah, winds, maybe sure. you could kind of walk through that. Yeah, I think I mean solar winds obviously is a supply chain attack. It's compelling, and um, and they were involved in one of the I think the first victim that we were looking at. But the thing that was really common to all the attacks was that the attacker was using um, the application infrastructure. So looking at application identity as a way to call to data that was you know, theoretically protected. And the reason for this is that applications are generally not as well tended as users. They're expected to be more predictable and the volumes of traffic are higher, so it's easier to launder your traffic in with them. Um, then there's like, you know, the 20 different ways that they got to where they could add those permissions. But I would say the other, you know, important thing to, 
to deal with in the mischaracterizations is that the number one way they got in was password spraying accounts without MFA, right? So it's old news, right? The Solargate thing, even even those attacks were probably involved with you know just basic uh, credential compromise that then resulted in being able to do these supply chain attacks, which gave them more pervasive access and more importantly, undetectable access. These guys were all about not getting caught. I remember, you know, when the when the reports came out that there were what, three different types of ways they got in, right? You talk, SolarWinds was the one that caught all, caught all the hot headlines, like password spraying where there wasn't MFA in place is maybe the second one. And then I remember a third one around supply chain, other supply chain attacks. And uh, and do, do you, are you able to comment on that? I, I think I have a hypothesis on what happened there, but maybe you can say more than I can. There are a couple of different, there's, there's things we know and things we suspect, right? Um, the things we know are, uh, that there was a, a third-party mail security provider that was compromised, um, and their private key that they used for all of their customer installs was compromised, and so every single one of their customers, in turn, was was vulnerable uh, through that mechanism. Um, so that was another supply chain attack. There's also um, some suspicion around recently announced uh, compromise of organizations that do things like software signing and you know the sort of the code stack management and that some of that may have had an influence in the, uh, the upstream solar uh, compromise but those are more that latter is more hypothetical i think the, the thing we know is about the third party mastery uh, vendor yeah and and I, and I some other things that i had heard through this and I, it's not substantiated and you can you can tell me this is crazy if you want to was you know through these attacks they would they would go for like IT service providers you know think of a, a body shop and by compromising the body shop be able to then get to the, that body shop's customer base any confirm deny no Absolutely. comments yeah. I mean if you look at the SolarWinds attack the, you talk about something like what 18,000 organizations impacted by SolarWinds malware binaries and um, and and then you look at the actual you know, target victims list from our perspective was in the low hundred, you know, kind yeah. of 150-ish, right? And so, um, so they had this huge footprint of available targets. But again, I think that it's actually an important thing to think about in these attacks that as attackers move to this world of saying, well, if I can get something upstream to get to my one target, then more and more attacks are moving upstream, right? And so, you know, as, as providers, we have to be ready for that. Yeah, good stuff. So that's a, kind of the, the basics of what happened there. Mike, uh, would you be willing to talk a little bit about you know, how, how you guys saw this flowing through in your customers and, and, and how you helped them respond? Absolutely. So the, the first reaction anybody has when they hear about a potential compromise is, am I compromised? And so the typical reaction you'd have in a scenario like that is going in and looking at your data and ascertaining, do my logs say yay or nay? And the, the unfortunate reality, and this is you know, somewhat true across a number of incident response events, people are not logging enough information, they're not retaining it long enough, and so um, for some agencies or some customers or, or some folks looking for impact, the answer was a quick yes or no, and it was great, and those were the, the situations where you saw maturity. But unfortunately, there was a substantive footprint where the answer was, we still don't know. And that obviously drives a much higher cost response. It's much more human intensive. You start talking about drive forensics rather than network and log forensics. And it drags it out and it takes it much longer in order to understand. So the time with customers was spent across that full spectrum. Where were they in that journey? Where were they in that maturity? And then after we looked at the impact, there were varying degrees of impact from the attacks themselves. And I'll focus specifically on the, the SolarWinds side. Um, those that installed the implant didn't necessarily call back to the actor. Those that did call back to the actor didn't necessarily have the actor take any further exploitation or compromise or data control or anything. And so understanding where they were on that spectrum, thankfully to the point Alex made, the numbers at that highest risk were low. And so we weren't looking at the planet, we were looking at a, a relatively small number in collective compared to those that use solar winds in, in the end. Yeah. Alex, you wanna talk about how you got involved? Yeah, uh, so for us, uh, you know, really the first involvement that we had was once this was made public. So, uh, you know, we had heard some rumblings about, you know, potentially something coming, uh, something big coming, but we, you know, we didn't really know what it was. Um, and then when the announcement was made, you know, we have a number of folks that uh, on the team that do threat intelligence monitoring and, and news uh, scraping and things like that. So, you know, we found out from that perspective, we also have a, uh, a monitoring provider that let us know uh, what was going on and began looking in their logs for uh, for the initial indicators of compromise and, and things that they could look for. Um, 
And so, you know, we really, from that, started to, to spin up our incident response process. And, and, you know, part of that also was determining which one of our, uh, our entities were using solar winds, what version they were using, um, if they were using a vulnerable version, um, you know, then there was a little bit of confusion up front too about which versions were vulnerable and then and moving down that path um you know starting to do investigations and uh you know even as mike mentioned doing forensics and other things like that if necessary all right so we did we talked a, a lot about um you know how this might change things going into the future and and how we look at third party how we use third parties and third party risk in general. Uh, I know let's have a few comments on you guys. What, what are your, what are your big takeaways from what we discussed in those areas? Anything you want to make sure we re reiterate here for this audience? I'll start with you, Mike. So there's, there's a term that shouldn't be foreign to any of us, least privilege access. And so we all have third party technologies in our environments. Every customer, every company has some third party technology. How much privilege, how much trust is given to those is one of the, the most important takeaways here is should that have full access to an enterprise? Should that have an ability to truly control at an administrator level every machine in the entire corporation from a single install? And so looking at this from a how do you contain an issue? How do you minimize its impact? And how do you lower the access and trust given to technology is an important part of this. As we look at a third party technology provider, also understanding what it is they have from a maturity perspective should influence how much you trust that technology and operation in your environment. And so that's one of the most important things to me to take away is how much do you really trust every component inside your environment? Alex Weiner, you want to take a shot at that? Yeah, I think, I mean, so we're a big proponents of zero trust and, you know, that's sort of as a model to think about. And least privilege access is one of the pillars of that. Another one is explicit verification, right? I think that where we get into difficulty is that organizations, you know, they have finite resources and they have a, a motive, which is to, you know, push the profit forward and like, you know, be productive and that sort of thing. Your vendor is really no different from a perspective of they want that first touch with the software that they're offering you to be as easy as possible. So of course they'll give you more access, right? The, like the defaults here are going to be as open as possible so that when you get that software, it's like, oh, this is an easy user experience. I can use all the features. We have to kind of flip that model around, right? We have to start, you know, getting to the place where, hey, let me help you think about what you really need to give, right? Um, and then the other one is, I think, you know, we have to try to stop stopping at the boundary where it gets hard, you know. So we'll do like least privilege access all the way down to the vendor solution, and then we don't want to look behind that wall because that's hard to do. Like asking for that, you know, extra information is hard and it's expensive. But like, here again, I think when we talk about explicit verification, which is a big part of zero trust. You, like the attackers doesn't, they don't have boundaries, right? They're not going to stop because, you know, this is where you signed a contract instead of writing the software yourself, right? So you have to, if you're going to do explicit verification, you have to know what that software is doing, at least at the boundary. I think um, you said something really good in the keynote, which was, you know, know your normal, right? At the very least, you can look at what the software is doing today and start quantifying what's the expected traffic, what's the expected pattern, what's the expected error rate. And if that shifts, you know you have something has gone sideways inside that vendor or software. So that's like a bare minimum. But I think we have a long, long way to go in terms of you know, maintaining those relationships in a secure way. Alex Wood, you want to take a shot? Um, yeah, I, th I think, uh, and it was brought up in the panel too, that you know, vendor management is important, but it's also hard. Um, so I think you know, coming together as, uh, as an industry and figuring out how to do that better you know, one of the things that I think that we mentioned during that the keynote was, um, you know, you can have all the certifications that you want, but, you know, a certification probably isn't going to check the build process to make sure that it has integrity. Um, maybe they should, but, uh, you know, that that's not a, a fairly standard thing as part of, you know, ISO 27000 or a SOC or other things like that. So I think we need, we all need to raise our games in terms of uh, doing that and really think about how we can do it better, whether it's you know, large companies pushing uh, their vendors to be better because they have the resources to do it or the government doing it or, or other things like that. Uh, Mike Benjamin, during the panel, you said, um, you, you pointed out that while we, we acted as though this was the first time a nation state had really done a supply chain attack, uh, that's not the case. And in fact, it's not even the first time we were on the front page of the newspaper as a result of it. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about that other example and, uh, and, and really what that teaches us going forward? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the event that I was referring to happened a few years back where 
um, a, a attacker from the same nation targeted the tax software of the Ukraine. And companies, businesses within that country use this tax software in order to you know, do their taxes. And the impact that ended up happening was ransomware was delivered. You'll hear this referred to as NotPetya, is the attack I'm referring to. And this particular attack, it crippled some of the infrastructure within that country. And the way they did it was a simple implant in the software update process of the tax software commonly used. Sounds very similar to Let's Use SolarWinds, the Orion software with an implant in the software upgrade process. From a technology perspective, it's not drastically different. And as we watched that, it, it, many people from a security perspective should know NotPetya as a name. It was popular in its impact uh, discussion, but it also was in the news as the impact of the Ukraine. And that's where people and the, the, the real world outside of our industry really understood the impact. And for us to, to look at this and say, this is new, this is the time we're going to learn from it. I think we're at, what, six, seven months since the news broke? Are we still actively reacting to it? Is our industry still adequately focused or have we moved past it? And so if we've moved past it, is it going to occur again? Yeah. Is, is it really going to occur again? It's something we really need to look in the mirror and say, did each organization, each technology provider, did they solve this problem or did they at least improve their posture to solve it when it occurs again? It's such a depressing thing to think because I, you know, I, re I vividly remember the NotPetya attack and in the security circles, I mean, we talked about it a lot. It was, it was big news. And, and it should have been a wake-up call that this could happen anywhere. And, and now we've actually had it happen with relatively, you know, significant impact, um, but not world-changing impact. Or do we have to have a bigger impact in order for people to actually do something here? Like, how, how do we get from where we are? I'm, maybe I'm being too down. Anyone want to comment before I spiral? I mean, I, <laughs> I'm a cheerful person in a, in a job that encourages a lot of pessimism, right? Um, I think that uh, we are... We are going to either walk or be dragged into a world where we fund uh, and mandate a lot more security. I mean, we just, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we all have to, like from the government level, from the implementers level, and from the vendors level, we all have to step up for this because if we don't, it will happen again and the stakes keep getting higher. And I think that it's wonderful the way that we can collaborate and, um, you know, like co-chairing and people's innovation is super, right, and like open source, but the attackers do it too. And any attack that's successful is in, you know, GitHub like months later, right? So, you know, we are really, we are running a race here. And I think that the level of investment we have to make, it needs to go a lot higher. And again, I think there are very encouraging signs right now. Do I think we're talking about it enough six months later? I, I don't know, like, I don't, I, th I don't really care whether we're talking about it, I care whether we're acting on it. There's a lot of investments that we need to make. We're certainly investing really hard internally. I know a lot of other companies are too. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. We're, I don't think we're talking about it enough. Um, but that's, I think, partially because there have been so many attacks that have, big attacks that have come, you know, one after the other. Uh, I think, you know, for a long time, it wasn't that the attacks were happening. It's that, uh, and I don't want to minimize data breach, but it's like, oh, another data breach. Oh, another data breach. Um, now it, it seems like the result of the attacks are, you know, maybe there's a data breach associated with it, but it's, oh, you know, now our gas prices are going up because a pipeline is down. Now the, you know, a water supply is potentially uh, compromised because there was an attack on a municipality and things like that. And, you know, I think it, it takes the whatever attention we had on the previous one and quickly refocuses it on the next thing. And it's hard to make sure that you're looping back and uh, doing everything that needs to be done for those things that, that you you did learn from the the one you know two three four six months ago, um, so it, it's it's hard. Yeah. I do think though, if you look at it, it that message right there helps reinforce this is a journey and that it's a programmatic thing that needs to be solved, and it's no different than risk programs. N nobody has zero risk; they're always working to improve it. Well, here we are looking at state-sponsored things that can impact us and incorporating in that same risk management program, the same technology, you know, evolution and architecture shifts and investments. It's part of a program and being distracted by the event that's in the news next week is not the right answer if you really have a good program and you really are going down that journey. All right, let's, uh, let's bring it home, guys. Uh, we ended up in there giving you guys a chance to say one thing we wanted the audience to walk away from. I'd love to give you guys the same chance here. Um, what's the one thing you want um, this audience to, to learn from this and, and maybe change in their behaviors and in their organizations? 
Well, I'll go ahead and throw it to Alex Weiner to start this off. All right. Um, you know, I'll say basically the same thing I said in the keynote, which is I think that we are, as people who are in the security industry and in the identity industry, we have to recognize that we are in the job of global security now. Like, you don't just have a job, you have a mission. And we all need to step up to that mission right now. Like, we are, I believe we're on the cusp of a time when the combination of nation state actors, sophisticated attacks, and the connection to our operational technology and IoT worlds is going to, you know, we're going to start seeing some really serious attacks starting to happen if we don't step up. So it's time for us to like all kind of band together and you know, get it done. Mike? I would like to ask who let Alex play with the buttons that make sound. That, that's our first pressing issue. There we go. All right, so from my perspective, it, it's data, right? I described as we engaged with our customers, the, the journey was relatively swift as it pertained to anybody who had adequate data to understand what was actually happening in their environment. They could look at the DNS callbacks and they could ascertain, did they hit stage one, stage two, or stage three as it pertained to this particular attack. And so data collection is hard. A place to store it, a place to query it, a place to look at it is not easy. And, and some of these in some environments are big data problems. These are not trivial things to ask, but they're important. And after the data is there, that's where the real power comes in, is looking at it, proactively understanding what's it doing, why does it say what it says, and doing something about it. And then that builds a corpus of information as to how the company operates and what things are abnormal and what you should be reacting to. And more and more of that will allow people to be more proactive in this kind of environment. And I, I think one of the takeaways that I offered at the panel was really thinking about uh, you know business continuity or resiliency or whatever uh, terms you want to use for it these days. Um, I think many of these attacks are, are highlighting the fact that we are extremely dependent on technology for very important processes. And uh, when all of a sudden that technology isn't, isn't available or um, we need to uh, do investigations or other things like that to take it down, that kind of thing, that, um, that we're not really in a good place for, uh, for keeping our critical operations continuing in, in those kind of uh, events. So I think really thinking about what those, the bad things that can happen are, the worst case scenarios, the, uh, the black swan events, whatever you want to call them, and making sure that you, you, know, you at least have a, a people process for how to, to deal with those things when it happens. I will close out with my takeaway for everyone, which is was already mentioned, but I want to reiterate just the the importance of knowing what normal looks like in your environment. The the better you understand normal behavior, the the harder it will be for bad guys to do th things that um, that you don't want them to do. Uh, you should you should be able to see those changes, and every change has a reason. Uh, understanding those things will be a big part of success. Well, that's it, guys. I think we're good with this interview. Um, we, we do have a lunch to go get over to, and I, I know I want some conference food after a long time away from it. Uh, any final comments before we go? No, thanks for letting us do it. It's a great opportunity. Yeah, this has been great. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, this has been Colorado Equal Security, and we'll talk to you again next week. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.